Good morning. We are so thrilled and honored to be with you this, uh, for this special district meeting. We, we've been looking forward to this for a long time, praying and seeking the Lord for guidance and help. Uh, we started off with a very, very busy week. I'm already exhausted trying to follow Pastor James, <laughs> who dashes between three campuses, four, four services every Sunday, uh, and we're just so thrilled how God is using you, Pastor, in those churches to be here with Pastor Mark. The last time we were together uh, was up on a high mountain about 12,000 feet above sea level uh, in Ethiopia. And that was a thrill to have you and Kirby and others. And we love you and we're just so thrilled to be here uh, with Doug. And that was a tremendous word yesterday. Thank you. And Brother St. John that we have respected for years and years. And I can't name all the names, but we're thrilled to be back. I, I moved to Minnesota in 1981. It's hard to believe that's already 40 years ago. I was a youth pastor in New Orleans. And I mean, truly, out of the clear blue, I was called by Dr. Don Argue and Dr. Don Meyer and invited to come and join the faculty and staff at North Central. I, ne I grew up in Kansas. I'd never lived north of Kansas. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> That first winter, I don't know if anybody remembers. I mean, I went from New Orleans, the bottom of the Mississippi. To, I, I had never even seen snow shovels. And, you know, these piles of snow that are eight feet high by the freeways. And I thought, Lord Jesus, you made a big mistake. But the wonderful thing is when I came to North Central, that's where I met Kareen, where she was already there at North Central as registrar. And a few years later, we married and... Uh, Serving in this, this district has been an honor. While we were at North Central, uh, we, along with David and Sherry Nichols, planted a church in Shoreview, and then Dave moved on to Trinity. We continued pastoring that church while we were teaching and working at North Central. And then from there, God called us to Ethiopia, and we've been in Africa since. But we love this district. And we, and, I mean, we love the state, but we love the people. We love you. And we feel very, very fortunate to be Minnesota missionaries serving in Africa. And my dear wife is a native Minnesotan. Yes. And she'll yes. tell you more about that just before I share the word. God is so good, isn't he? Yeah. And just sensing so much the spirit of the Lord, as Pastor Choco said, may the spirit lead us. And as Doug and I were praying this morning, that's our, our prayer, isn't it? Our heart cry is that we would seek God and find answers to all the challenges. We all face challenges, don't we? I mean, God is so good. He's so amazing, but we need him. And as I look back over the many years that God has been so faithful, and, you know, it started, or Doug had mentioned, I first came here single to North Central University. It was then Bible College, North Central Bible College, but came as the financial aid director. And wow, was that an eye-opening experience. I learned so much during that time. And then I stepped into the role of being registrar for six years before our first daughter, Julia, was born. And you know, God has his ways and his timing. You know, Doug's the preacher, the teacher, but I like the logistics. And you know, whether you're in the church, in Bible colleges, you need it all, don't you? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So I am so thankful that we served combined at North Central 19 years before God said, now is your time to go overseas. So just because you're older, don't think that God can't call you into missions. (laughs) It's all about being obedient and just following what God asks you to do. And I just love the open doors that God has given us. And, you know, he includes the family, doesn't he? He includes our children. Both of our daughters, Julia and Ruthie, were born in Minneapolis. And then when we went overseas, they were a little bit older, so they didn't know the language fluently and some of those things that happen when your kids are born there. But we are so thankful. Both of them now are fully appointed missionaries. Our daughter, Julia, is serving with Africa's Hope, overseeing the translation of materials on the diploma level. It would be like Berean School of the Bible. It's called Discovery Series to over 16 heart languages. And we are excited. She's going to be getting married in December. So that's a big thing for our family, and we thank God. And then our youngest daughter, Ruthie, and her husband, Devin, and we only have one grandson, but we're (laughs) thankful for him, Nolan, who will turn two in October. But they serve on an island in the Indian Ocean, primarily ministering to Muslims. But God takes care of our families, doesn't he? He is so faithful. And I just love some of the the sharing as well with um, some of the practical applications of just setting aside all the distractions Mm -hmm. and then also laying budgets at the feet of Jesus. As financial people or pastors, missionaries, whatever we are, You know, I thought of our Bible school in Addis Ababa Bible School in Ethiopia and how it's struggling. And God just spoke to me, lay that budget at the Lord's feet. You know, don't you love how God speaks to you when you're seeking him? He will give you what it is you need from this prayer and fasting retreat. So we are so thankful to be here with you. Thank you, sweetie. Amen. I brought some prayer cards. If you would want to pick one of these up just to remind you to pray for us, we would be honored. But anyway, they are there for you. I want you to turn to a very familiar passage, and I'm going to twist. I've preached this thought in different ways. You know how we pray the Lord really leads us. I wasn't planning to preach this sermon until yesterday, and some things were said, and the Lord just clearly spoke to me that I needed to go ahead and preach. But it's from Matthew chapter 15, and I'm going to read part of Matthew chapter 15, then I'm going to go back to the passage on fasting in Isaiah chapter 58. But, but what I have, uh, coming into this fasting and prayer conference, you know, the Bible says an awful lot about food. Clean and unclean, eating, not eating, none, a little, a lot. You know, we even kind of joke about going from the upper room to the supper room. I have a Tanzanian friend who loves to say, we need to move from fellowship to swallowship. That's a good Tanzanian term. Uh, but, you know, you, you just realize there, there's a whole lot about a connection between what goes into our mouth, into our stomach, 
but also what comes out of our heart back through our mouth, the importance of the mouth as a gate in and out. You know, both food and words. And as I have pondered that, I was just thinking of the importance of what we're doing here and what we're letting go into us and what is coming out of us. And fasting is so important as it regulates what goes in. But what is more important than what is going in or if anything is going into our bodies, but what is the state of our heart? And what is happening in our hearts as we fast and we pray? And, of course, that takes us back to that familiar passage on fasting in Isaiah 58. And I know a lot of you have preached and studied that text. But just to highlight a couple of things before I take you back to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. You know, um, Isaiah wrote in verse 6, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice. And he talks about the people that are oppressed, breaking that yoke, humbling yourselves. I mean, the kind of fasting where we come and we humble ourselves, but our fasting affects our attitude and our action. You know, so I, that, that is my prayer for myself and for all of us, that as we deny ourselves food, that what's going into our mouth and into our stomachs, something is happening in our hearts that then is projected back in the other direction, the in and the exit through our mouth, that controlling what goes into our mouth is somehow God is doing a work in our hearts that what comes out in action and attitude is pleasing to him. That it's affecting the way we look at people and the way we handle people and our attitudes. Not only in just crying out to God in humility and saying, Lord, help me. But that through fasting and waiting on the Lord is a transformation. Well, with that in mind, and you can spend more time in chapter 58 of Isaiah, I take you back and my primary text is going to be excuse me, Matthew chapter 15, 21, but I'm going to go back and read the first part of the chapter. But if you will read with me first, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, and I would entitle my sermon or my thought today, To Be Like Jesus. It's a matter of the heart. In fact, I was thinking, uh, Pastor Mark was talking about an old song by Andre Crouch. I loved Andre Crouch. But I went back another few hundred years to a song, To Be Like Jesus, To Be Like Jesus. All I ask is to be like Him. Some of you ancient people remember that one. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like Him. To be like Jesus, isn't it something? And that's what we want. That's why we come. That's why we pray. That's why we wait. That's why we seek him, that he will bring transformation, that we're going to become more and more like him in that process. And as I have re-looked at this text, it just has spoken to me even more. It's all about becoming more and more like Jesus. So in, in chapter 15, verse 21, I read, And leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. I heard somebody yesterday praying that, that exact same phrase here in this room. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. 
My daughter is suffering cruelly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and they urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The woman came and actually the the Greek word in there is she came worshiping him. She came worshiping him and said, Lord, help me. And he replied, it's not right, it's not good to take the children's bread and to toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from, the, the, from their master's table. And Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And I want you to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Let me read real fast. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands. That's the COVID hand wash. 20 seconds, lots of soap and water. They don't do the right proper hand washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God? Notice the traditions of men versus the commands of God. Why do you break the commands of God and for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or his mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help might have otherwise been yours and been received by you is a gift devoted to God. He is not honoring his father. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about it. About you. These people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men and then notice jesus said listen and understand this is back to the food thing what goes into uh, through a man's mouth doesn't make him or her unclean it's what comes out of the mouth that's what makes him unclean the disciples came to him don't you know that the pharisees were offended when they heard this And he replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be pulled out by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads blind man, they're both going to fall in the ditch. I love the next phrase. Peter said, explain the parable. And at least in the NIV, the next line says, are you still so Dull? How many think that was a compliment? (laughs) Don't you see that whatever enters your mouth, back to the food thing, whatever enters your mouth and goes into your stomach, it then goes out of the body. But the things that come out of the mouth, they come from the heart. 
These make a person unclean. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, on and on and on. These are what make a man unclean. But eating what with unwashed hands, that doesn't make you unclean. To be like Jesus. I love this story. God has really spoken to me about this story. And I know, I bet everybody in here who's pastored just even a few years has probably preached the story of the Canaanite woman. The location is really critical. In verse 21, it says, leaving that place, and you'd have to go back to chapter 14, verse 34, to see what that place was. Jesus was up on the Lake of Galilee, the northwest corner, the little village called Gennesaret. And so for him to leave that place and withdraw and go to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and again, if you are very, very old-fashioned, you still have an old Bible that has leather and paper. I don't Do electronic Bibles have maps? Anyway, mine does. And you can go back and look at those maps in the back. Love those maps. And to go from, here's Lake Galilee, and then here's the Jordan River. Tyre and Sidon is way to the northwest. And there were mountain ranges that were impassable. So to go from Gennesaret to Tyre and Sidon, Jesus had to first go kind of northeast, then north up the Jordan River, and then across to Tyre and Sidon, which would have been 45 to 50 kilometers, 30, 35, 40 miles I mean, this is not just some little day's journey to get away from the crowd. And what you've got to recognize is this was very, very intentional for Jesus to go from where he was to where he wanted to go. And even though the first part of our little story doesn't mention the disciples, I think this story is more about disciples than anything else. So Jesus intentionally... Following this discussion, and boy, that was great, Pastor Doug, about, in, you know, in hermeneutics, we talk about the literary context. What, what, is, what, what does one passage say, and how does that lead to the next passage, and how does that lead to the next passage? See, God inspired those authors. They just didn't do cut and paste. There is a flow of thought as you move from one passage to the other. And I think that here, here we start off in chapter 15 talking about clean, unclean. Jesus went to one of the most unclean places theologically, relationally, culturally you could ever imagine. He is going from Israel, the the land of the free and the home of the Jewish brave, up to Tyre and Sidon, where there are pagan, unclean people. Matthew mentions one of them, a Canaanite. In other words, I want you to see that Jesus is doing foreign missions. He is doing foreign missions. He left Israel. He left his language, his culture, his people, his food, everything that was normal and common, and went to a faraway region, taking along those disciples. I bet about at mile 10, they're beginning to drag, and mile 15, and mile 20, it's like, how much further? And he keeps taking them and taking them because he has a very clear objective in mind. He gets up into that region, and I I love the contrast Because here comes, Matthew says, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity. 
Uh, we ought to have Bob Brenneman come up here and teach us about culture. I mean, you talk about radical differences. So here's Jesus, a Jew, a male, a very out, outstanding, holy, miracle-working prophet. Here comes a woman, a Canaanite, a pagan, involved in idolatry, demonization. You know, we don't even know if maybe that little girl had been dedicated to the demons after she was born, before she was born. And it's not even a male son, it's a daughter. I mean, in that kind of a cultural contrast, you talk about differences between Jesus and his group, and here comes this lady. Do you see that? And in that kind of a culture, it is so inappropriate for a woman, a Canaanite woman, an idolatrous pagan woman, to approach a Jew. I wish, I wish the Bible had a whole lot more footnotes. How did this lady know? How did she know anything about Jesus? How did she recognize him? I mean, I, I wish we knew more about that. But somehow the word had moved. In fact, if you went back and read the latter part of Matthew chapter 4, it says when Jesus began his ministry, it was so outstanding that even the stories about him went all the way up to Syria, which is further north than even Tyre and Sidon. What had she heard? But there was something that she had heard. Even though she's a Canaanite and she's part of the wrong group, the wrong culture, a pagan background, the demons working in her life, in her desperation, somehow she had heard and she had hope and faith that maybe somehow he would show up. Isn't it amazing that Jesus went all the way to this far region to touch one person's life? He goes up to the area of Tyre and Sidon with those 12, maybe moping, complaining 12. And here comes a lady who has hope and faith that maybe this will be the cure. I wonder if she'd spend all of her money going to witch doctors, medical doctors. I mean, we love our kids. We love our children and our grandchildren. We love our grandchildren more than we do our children. We would do anything, anything, anything. I would lay down my life in a second for my daughters or my grandson. I wonder what all she had done to try to help deliver and cure this kid. And notice the text said that the daughter was cruelly demonized. Cruelly. Have you ever seen people demonized? Ripped, torn, shredded by the powers of a destructive Satan. And no cure, no hope, no answer. She comes to Jesus. And I know we, we, if you read commentaries on this, I mean, there's all kinds of explanations. Some say she comes and she tries to manipulate Jesus. I think that's nonsense, personally. And if you've preached that, just forgive me. I'll be at the altar. Come pray for me. Listen to her words. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. I mean, whether that Lord means sir or it's truly sensing the divine nature. I mean, later on when she comes and worships him, I think that that Lord is more than just sir. I think that there is some aspect of revelation that she had to see that Jesus is even more than just a prophet. 
And that's what's given her hope. And she has heard enough that she can break through all the cultural bounds that would tell her it's not right for a woman to go to a man and for a Canaanite to go to a Jew and out of your background to go to this holy man. But there was enough faith and courage and persistence. She approached him, Lord, and she gives him a messianic title, which is really amazing because, as you know, the Canaanites and the Jews had been arch enemies for centuries and one of the leaders of that nation that had conquered the Canaanites was David but she was able to recognize something far greater than politics and wars and generations and acknowledge him with that messianic title son of David and then there's no entitlement there's no manipulation it's have mercy have mercy I am unworthy I am undeserving have mercy on me my daughter is suffering cruelly she comes crying out. Aren't you, aren't you glad Jesus is available? I mean, some, some, of the, some of what we have been and some of the people in our churches and the people of our world, they're so lost, they're so bound. And maybe we, we still look at them and we categorize them. They're the Canaanites. They're involved in, and they probably are, and they're involved in idolatry and the demons are at work in their lives. But you know what? Jesus goes out of the way to walk into their house, into their neighborhood, into their community, into their culture and their language, and he is there. He is there. He is there. He went there. He went there. He didn't have to go that far. If he just wanted to get away from the crowds, he could have just gone off a few kilometers and hidden in a forest someplace. But he went there very intentionally because he's trying to teach a lesson to 12 knuckleheads like us. And he gets up there and the lady comes crying out. And I know it really troubles us when we read that phrase, and he did not answer her a word. And so we have good explanations. I've, I've read some who say, I mean, it, it's kind of surprising. They'll say, well, Jesus just really didn't anticipate a, a Gentile woman like that coming up to him, and he was just kind of confused. <laughs> I mean, you can read scholars say that. So, duh, what are we going to do now? Some say, and I, there may be some in the congregation here that hold this position again, just forgive me. That when, during Jesus' ministry, it was strictly targeted to the Jews. Well, if that's the case, why in the world did he go there in the first place? Why did he go to Samaria in John chapter 4? Why does Matthew in chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, does he say Jesus moved from Nazareth to Capernaum? And then he quotes Isaiah, Galilee of the Gentiles, people living in darkness have seen a great light. If Jesus came only for the Jews, and, or maybe that ministry to the Jews only uh, beyond the Jews began after his resurrection, why does Matthew begin the whole gospel in chapter 1, verse 1, by describing Jesus as the son of David, the son of Abraham? What did God say to Abraham back in Genesis 12? Your seed is going to be a blessing to the nations. Why, why, if it's only to the Jews, would Matthew, and I mean, he is Jewish to the core, but why would he give a genealogy that in four, involves four women who are Gentiles? That's kind of 
out of the box? Why would he begin chapter 2 describing the very first people who come and worship Jesus as being magi? You know, they are uh, Khomeini's great-great-grandfather. They came from Iran and Iraq. They came and they said, we're seeking the king of the Jews. We've come to worship him. Meanwhile, Herod is scheming how he can destroy him. You know, and as I read that, even that, it just it kind of surprises me because Herod called the, the religious leaders together and they knew where the Messiah was to be born. But when that place is identified, do you see them jumping on their camels and dashing down to Bethlehem so they can worship? Who went? Are you getting the point? Back in chapter 8, a centurion, a Roman centurion, came to Jesus and he said, Master, will you, will you heal my child? And Jesus, in the Greek text, and again, I think people overlook this, it, it's a, what we would call a reflexive. Jesus says, I myself will go and heal him. He says that to a Gentile. I'm not going to send the guys. I myself will go. And that centurion, you know that story. He kind of steps back and he says, wait, wait, no. I, you know, I know what it means to be under authority. I'm not even worthy for you to come. You just speak the word. And Jesus responded and said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And from that, Jesus goes to talk about the messianic banquet when people from the north, the south, the east, the west are all going to gather together with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and celebrate the greatness of God. Jesus didn't answer her a word. Was it because he was prejudiced and wasn't ready for the Gentile ministry? Some say, and I know some of you maybe preach this one again, forgive me, you, that Jesus just wanted to make it a little tough, make it a little tough for this gal. You know, just kind of push her a little bit. See if she was really determined, if she really had faith. And I would say, I mean, that, that's nice, but do you see Jesus doing that anyplace else? In fact, if you look at the title Lord, that she used, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. I mean, I read of men saying that, parents saying that, who had demonized kids, blind people saying that. Anyone who came and used those expressions, Lord, Son of David, have mercy, Jesus had compassion on them and healed them. I'm looking for consistency. See, I don't think it was about Jesus having an issue Remember, there's those 12 guys standing in the shadows. And Jesus was silent. And the biblical text says, in his silence, the disciples spoke up. And they said, send her away. Just think if Jesus would have done that. Okay, you're right. Go. What would have happened to her and her child and her village? They said, send her away, and they gave the explanation. She is crying out. She is obnoxious. She is bothersome. She is crying out after us. Oh, what? what? Go, let me go back and read again. A woman came crying out saying, Lord, Son of David, and all you disciples, have mercy on me. She didn't even mention them. But see, what I think this text is about, and that's why I'm, I'm talking to us, because this is about becoming like Jesus. 
It's beginning to be shaped and take on His likeness in, in our fasting and in our prayer and our waiting and our calling that we're saying, God, it's not only about the ministry out there. It's got to go. But what about my attitude and what's happening in me as I wait upon You and I seek You and I'm becoming more and more conformed to Your will and Your image and Your priorities and Your values? It's tragic, isn't it? We're in chapter 15. They were called back in chapter 4. They've been in process. They've seen miracles. I mean, the storm has stopped. The dead have been raised. The food has been multiplied. Jesus, she is obnoxious. She is bothering us. Send her away. It was more about them than it was her and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Send her away. She's crying out after us. Now, this, these next couple of phrases, I really want to talk about what I think that they mean and what it means to us. Jesus said in response to their request to send her away, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Think about those words. I was sent only. I was sent what? Only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 99% of commentators will say Jesus is stating his MO. This is what he came to do. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I think, what about the rest of the Bible? What about the rest of this gospel that I already referred to? Only? And see, what I think the clue to understanding this text is going back to the previous story that we read, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you hear it better from King James, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Sorry. I believe what Jesus is doing is verbalizing, he's articulating what is in the hearts of those guys out of that kind of context, out of the abundance of the heart, that connection between the heart and the mouth. Maybe they were too embarrassed to literally say it, but so that they could be healed, so that their lies and their confusion would be exposed to be healed and surgically, spiritually removed. Jesus just says it. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and 12 guys are they're saying, that is correct. And when I read that text, I mean, I look in the mirror and I think, can't we be so much like that? Jesus, you were sent to U.S. of A. You were sent to our group, our socioeconomic level, the people who eat like us and think like us and talk like us, as long as they're in our group. Yes, you came for them, even the ones on the margin. But don't go out too far. You came only for us to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. To go way out of the way to Tyre and Sidon to invite a Canaanite person, a woman with a demonized daughter. You came only to the lost sheep. You only came to Minnesota. And see, we, we were having a great discussion yesterday with President 
Hagen at North Central University. And by the way, that school is hopping. I was so thrilled. Crean and I were so thrilled to be there with him and see what God is doing. We were having a conversation about this whole thing of cultures and peoples. And I think I, I, I read a text like this and I think Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He didn't, he didn't come just for one group, one ethnic group, one socioeconomic group, one language group. He came in, to seek and save, and whosoever will may come. And he came with that agenda, and he's trying to build that into those 12 and into every one of us. It's not only about the Twin Cities and about Minnesota and the USA. It's a vast world with thousands of people groups and thousands of languages and people that sometimes we can't even grasp but have never even heard. They haven't even heard the name of Jesus Christ yet. Nothing. There's a friend of ours in northeastern Kenya. His name is Hassan. Some of you have heard me tell this story, so forgive me. But Hassan comes from an area in the northeast region, just north is Ethiopia, just east is Somalia. It's called Mandera. And he's 100% Muslim. It's a very aggressive, difficult area. He had fallen ill, and he was in a little bush clinic where he was dying. And one day he had to use the toilet. Well, there were no toilets, so he just needed to go out to the bush. All the campers said amen. So he was going out to the bush, and an attendant working there at the clinic gave him two sheets of paper to use as TP. Got out, squatted behind the bush, and noticed there was writing on his two pieces of paper. That was surprising, you know, pretty fancy toilet paper. And he started to read, and it was in Swahili, and he started to read. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, he, he read on, he flipped the page. You know, that's John chapter 4, Jesus going to the Samaritan woman and saying, you're thirsty, I'll give you something that'll satisfy you. And he had one more page flipped in chapter 5 and about Jesus going to the pool of Bethesda and healing. And he, he didn't use the TP for that purpose. He kept it. In fact, he went back to the attendant and said, you know, I'm really sick and I have some more paper. But he went back to his cot and he sat on the cot and he said, Lord Jesus, I mean, I've heard about you as, as the great pro, one of the great prophets in Islam, but if this is who you really are, he'd never seen a Bible before, he never heard that message, but if this is who you really are, you're the Son of God, you're the Savior of the world, you came because you love us and you have that kind of power, would you heal me? And in an instant, the Lord Jesus Christ healed him sitting on that bed, having read this little bit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He got up, he checked out, he went back to his village where his wife and his daughter were living. When they saw him walk in, they first thought it was a ghost. But to see him there alive and well, he told them how it was Jesus who had healed him. Kind of naively, they began to go through the village telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. A few days later, he went on a business trip. And while he was away, the villagers came, took the wife and daughter out of the hut and murdered them because of their proclamation of Jesus Christ. Hassan fled to Nairobi. Nairobi is someplace between four, five, six million people. It's kind of hard to say. And he was wandering the streets just in grief and loss. He'd experienced Jesus. Now he'd experienced such a tragedy. And the Lord supernaturally guided him. Some of you have been right there to a gate 
in the middle of the city that has four letters on it, E-A-S-T, East Africa School of Theology, our Bible school. And he walked into that school and he shared his testimony and he said, you know, I've lost so much, but I've experienced so much. I feel God's calling me into some kind of service ministry. I don't even know what that means. But will you accept me? And we accepted him. And he trained. And four years later, he graduated from the Bible school. And today, he is traveling through Kenya and Tanzania, training believers in churches how to be more effective in reaching out to Muslims through the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, there are people out there who have never heard. They might, might have a vision. They might happen to have come across a scripture someplace. But who's going to help them and teach them and train them and raise up disciples? Here is this lady crying out. Did Jesus only come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel? He was trying to train those disciples, be more like me. Notice the lady just, she got it. And she just comes and worships and says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus again makes a very difficult statement if we don't understand in the context. It's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. You know, in that story, who are the children? Those 12 guys? It's our t- you know, we, we have an expression in Africa, it's my time at the table. Now, that's usually used politically. But if anybody gets into office, they're at the table and they're going to eat and devour everything they can as long as they are there. But there's something about having the privilege and being in the family of sitting at the table. And these guys felt like it was all about them. That's their mindset. We're the children. We're the privileged ones. We belong. We're at the table. And I think Jesus, once again, is verbalizing what's in their minds and hearts. He's just saying it for them. They think they're the children, and you can read the rabbinical writings. They viewed Gentiles as sometimes no better than a dog. It's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And as you know, in that culture, dogs weren't little pet Fido running around. They were vile. They were running the streets. They were eating the scraps. They were dangerous. Can you imagine pulling food away from your child and throwing it to something like that? Yeah, and they're all saying, that's right, Lord, that's right. It's about us. It's about we are in the family. It's about our our group. We're the privileged ones. Be like Jesus. And the woman understood what he was saying. And isn't her response humbling and amazing? That's right, Lord. You don't take the food away from the kids and give it to dogs. But listen to her words very carefully. But even the dogs, those vile varmints, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall. It's not voluntarily taking the food. It's just there is such generosity such an abundance that the Lord has supplied that it's not only feeding those in the family around the table, they're getting their abundance, but there's enough both for them and for some that maybe would be considered not worthy. Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall. And in her mindset, even a crumb provided by Jesus would be enough to meet the need in her family, in her daughter, in her life. Even the dogs eat crumbs that fall. 
What an amazing attitude. We, have, we, have, uh, we don't always have an abundance mentality, either or. I get it or you get it. She, she had an amazing, abundant generosity mentality lord there's enough you can give it to those guys that's okay but i know that there's enough that we can get some too what an amazing attitude in spite of the way they had treated her what a lesson for our day from this canaanite woman and jesus closes by saying woman You have great faith. Not just faith that God exists, but this woman had begun to capture the real heart of the Lord Jesus Christ to become more like him. She understood, I think, that he had come to seek and save the lost, that even she, even though she's from another culture and background and religion, she could approach him with boldness at the throne of grace and he would meet her right there in his grace and abundance and power. She believed in who he was and what he had come to do. Lord, you have shown mercy. And Jesus says, you have great faith. You know who I am. You know what I've come to do. You can go. Your request is granted. And Matthew concludes the story. You know, I I think about Matthew. I don't know if he wrote this gospel 30 years later. Can you imagine as he's being led by the Holy Spirit and he's pinning the stories, he came to this account? I bet he had to put the pen down and kind of weep. I can't believe I had that kind of an attitude toward that desperate lady. I was one there ready to just send her away. But through time, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God in his life and in the lives of those others, they came to the place where they truly could hear that great commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. So I bring us to a time of prayer and close. See, I read a story like this, and I think about the context of food and clean and what's in our heart and our attitudes and our actions and why we fast and we pray. And isn't it all that we would become more like Jesus? Why did Jesus take those guys there? Why did he say what he did? It's so that the the lies and the deceit and the bigotry and the narrowness could be exposed so he could heal them, that they could go eventually and take this great message to every person, every tribe, every language, and he hasn't changed in his agenda. It's both to accept the Canaanite and it's to transform the disciple. That's us. And as we pray today, maybe you came and you're kind of feeling a little Canaanite-ish. There's stuff in your life. There's powers. There's, uh, there's controls. I want you to know Jesus can set you free. He has all power and authority. The thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. I have come to give you life abundantly, he says, to set us free. But I also... I want to challenge us all. Look at, our, look at our state. Look at our country. Look at the division. And it's all over the world. 
In Kenya, tribalism, racism rips the country apart. Ethiopia rips it apart. Shouldn't the church be different? Where we love, where we're becoming more like Jesus, where whosoever will may come, and we love them and we accept them, and it is not them and us, it is we are together. By the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, heal us. Heal us of traditions and prejudices and self-centeredness and bigotry. God, as we fast and pray, may you change our attitudes, our actions, our hearts, that we would see, that we would speak as you do. May we be the people of God. Hope, light, life in a world of hopelessness and darkness and tornness to bring healing and grace. Make us like you. Make us like you. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I ask, all I ask is to be like him.